Well, welcome to the Weekend Sports Cards, part of the Marshall Pruitt podcast, and uh, brought to you as always thanks to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. Uh, we're quite away from Toronto, and uh, it might be the Marshall Pruitt podcast, but Marshall is on IndyCar duty. Uh, we'll be together actually for the next edition in Indianapolis, but joined. Uh, once again by news editor of Delhi Sports Car, my friend and colleague Stephen Kilby, and uh, we're bringing this edition to you from the press briefing room at Fuji Speedway uh, a couple of three hours after the finishing flag, the chequered flag flew um, for the penultimate race in the 2023 FI World Endurance Championship, and and it was quite an event. Stephen, we've been here all week in uh, another set of punishing um, meteorological conditions it's been so hot and humid but not a lot of sunshine and today out came the sun but the humidity is still there pretty exhausting weekend yeah. I think for everybody um, lots of storylines to, to get through but it's been a busy old time as well with well I, I guess news not a huge amount of massive news but some significant uh, moves. We'll have a show primarily centred about the Inns of WeatherTech Sports Car Championship next week in Indianapolis, of course. But there has been some bits and pieces around that will affect the way that Hypercar and GTP, as well as the Indy entry, and uh, some good news about a new entry coming forward there. What's caught your eye uh, in the editorial inbox in the last few days? Uh, definitely the big news story in IMSA, which is the Watkins Glen date change for next year, which I think was something that we was trailed, wasn't it, for a while in the background. We were expecting that to come, um, but we've had confirmation now they're moving it so that there's no clash with the Spa 24 Hours, which is, of course, having its centennial race, isn't it, next year? That's a, that's a really sensible decision, isn't it? It's a sensible decision, but it's, it's, a, it's a tale of <sighs> blame-calling, I guess. Uh, there's no doubt that the 2024 IMSA calendar has caused some ripples um, with uh, multiple clashes with the FI World Endurance Championship, with clash with both the Spa and the Nürburgring 24 Hours. But the Spa one in particular, I think, um, number one, let's look at it from SRO's point of view. That race was moved to a date which has traditionally been the selling six hours of the Glen. Uh, that's been forced upon them because of Formula One calendar constraints and that then left IMSA with a kind of you know picking up the baton uh, made of something sticky and unpleasant um, that nobody wants to deal with they've recognized that there is significant interest from their partner manufacturers in the spa 24 hours in any year but in particular of course in the centenary year 1924 that race was first held yeah, uh, second significant 24-hour race in the world uh, with a centenary after last year, this year rather, with the Le Mans 24 hours. But they've recognised that um, perhaps that change needed to be made. That's now been confirmed. It does mean a pretty punishing June for a lot of people because that is the weekend after the, the Le, Mans Le Mans 24 hours. So d- does that mean it's Le Mans test, Le Mans, Watkins Glen, Spa 24 hours in consecutive weekends now? Yes, it does. Brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I'll take your bids from which one you'd like to miss out. And by the way, it's not Le Mans um, at some point in the future. But pragmatism rules for the moment. Not there's not a huge number of people for which that's going to be an immediate real-world problem. Truth be told, 
Um, and it might well mean that a fair number of those people are spending fewer days wandering around in a paddock somewhere. But ultimately, yeah, it, 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 it's one of these things where this, the current success of sports car racing brings with it problems. And that's everybody wants to do more. Everybody wants to watch more, be involved in more, compete in more. And in particular, in this instance, the manufacturers want to activate more. And that can only be a good thing. It can only be a good thing to try to get more eyes on the sport that we love and that, frankly, pays the bills. You know, we're a business in sports car racing the same as everybody else's. But uh, I agree with you. It's a good move. It's good that we've now got it out in the open and we can just crack on and make that calendar work. Mm, definitely. And then, in addition to that, there's been a, a couple of entries that have been formally announced um, via press releases from a couple of teams. It's We're at that point where... IMS is expecting all the entries to be filed and they're trying to get the, the entry list of the full season and for Rolex released early, aren't they, this year? Yep. So there are lots of there's lots of movement out there in the background and we've had uh, Conquest and that's GTD effort with Ferrari and CrowdStrike APR with an LMP2 yep. effort with Monaco. Two nice well, two nice additions to the grid for next year. Well well the the CrowdStrike by APR, the George Kurtz uh, Crude effort, George has been confirmed as the first, uh, unsurprisingly, as the first driver for that. That's the efforts that took the, L- the LMP2 Pro Am title at Le Mans this year, handled on behalf of CrowdStrike Racing by our friends at Alcott Pro Racing, Sam and Stu Cox behind that effort. And it, it is another tick in the box for what looks like being a, an improved full season and Daytona entry for LMP2. And LMP2 this season will be a point scoring race for LMP2. Hasn't been for a couple of uh, seasons in the recent past. Uh, I think it's fair to say at the moment expectation is that it's going to be around at or at double figures for the full season. That's a really healthy. Um, supporting prototype category as LMP3 leaves the field uh, to support what will be a growing GTP grid in the coming uh, coming years, seasons. Uh, along with that, there seems to be real health in GTD Pro, and GTD inevitably uh, will come along and be a fabulous support to it as well. But Conquest, you know, a uh, great name to have back, you know, in the uh, IMSA series and CrowdStrike by APR brings together you know, a commercial entity that is looking to activate the passion of one of their senior staff um, founders rather but also bringing to bear a European team together with a, a US entity that's had success just about everywhere with success at Le Mans with success in the European Le Mans series the Asian Le Mans series and they're looking to replicate that now on the other side of the Atlantic and I couldn't be more delighted for everybody concerned mm. so let's move on then to talking about the week we've had in Japan and I, you said it best I think earlier on in the week where you said that WC does feel different when you're in Asia and when you do these flyaway races and and it is quite a nice atmosphere in the paddock. It's everyone's a bit exhausted, yep. perhaps maybe a bit more so than they'd like at yes. some times like this. But it it's there's a little bit more of a relaxed vibe in places I feel. And the point we are at the season with the with the finale coming in in a couple of months. That was it a couple of months? How long is it to Bahrain? Five November. or six weeks? Five or six weeks away. There's still time yeah, before we get it's, to the it's, final it's race. It's closer to eight, but yeah, you're right. I mean, there's obviously the freight, the freight will be for the most part leaving this circuit tonight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we'll be heading towards Bahrain in the now traditional final race of the season. And we're at that kind of 
situation where, well, in championship terms, GTM is done. We'll come to what's been going on with the classes later on. Manufacturer's title went to Tota tonight. Um, that's no surprise. They've been the, the uh, consist, most consistent of the hypercar teams, but uh, other storylines emerging. But still plenty up for grabs, including overall drivers' championships in uh, LMP2 as well as hypercar and the team's championship in, in LMP2 as well. Uh, lots still up for grabs and some great racing still to come. Bahrain normally, not every time, but normally produces a good finale for this championship. And there's never a shortage of drama whenever the WC hits the track. And this season, I think, bodes well that we're going to see potentially more of that. As for the news that's around in the paddock, for the most part, it's a matter of ticking boxes and filling gaps in uh, the organisers, the teams drivers and our knowledge base in what's coming for next season uh, hypercar it feels as if the last few chips are in the game now um, that's, I think we can be reasonably confident that we're talking about a full season entry of somewhere between 18 and 20 cars there may be some bits and pieces that uh, are going to uh, potentially surprise us but I, I would believe that we're probably looking at an entry of either 18 or 20 cars. Why do I think 18 or 20? I think they'll want to keep it to an even number and keep the two-car format for LMGT3, which is the only other class next year, remember, two-class season. I think they want to keep it neat and tidy uh, rather than sort of messing about with um, the odd car or a third car. It can be difficult to offer one manufacturer a third car or to offer mm. a single manufacturer a single car. Uh, and to see how that one might, might pan out. My assumption is 18 or 20. And my assumption is that if it's 18, we'll get 18, I believe, on GT3s or nine um, teams of two. That sounds really easy, doesn't it, when you say it out loud? But it brings with it some real challenges. We have 13 LM. GT3, uh, 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 sorry, GTE cars this year, which means we've got 13 bronze drivers who, for the most part, are bringing the bulk of the funding to that effort. Next year, by my reckoning, let's say it's 18. So you've already got to find, teams have got to find five more well-funded gentleman drivers. Um, but it's more than that, because for starters, Ben Keating in the Corvette, the champion, uh, who's already the champion this year is not coming back he's, t he's told us that and explained that he doesn't want to drive a GT3 he wants to earn his way forward through LMP2 and will commit to has committed to um, IMSA next year with United Autosports that's an exciting prospect it's a lot of new people to this championship that these teams have got to attract to a new product in this championship which is LMGT3 there is a wider feeding pool, if you like, for um, GT3 the world over but outside of IMSA the kind of budgets that you're talking about for the WEC simply aren't there for the vast majority of bronze drivers yeah. you know, when you talk about what SRO budgets are and what the uh, commitment is required from um, you know, a funding driver for uh, one of the SRO series it's, it doesn't begin to compare with the multi-million dollar uh, commitment that you would need for a full season of the FI World Endurance Championship, including, of course, Le Mans. Biggest race in the world, 
one of the biggest events in the world, it's also extremely expensive. And that, I think, is the challenge for these teams, many of them with brand new machinery, many of them um, with new relationships with manufacturers they've not worked with before, uh, as they ramp up to this to put the ducks in a row and get those three driver squads, two three driver squads, in place and funded in time to get the programme together that they really want to do. The bigger problem as well, of course, is some of those manufacturers don't yet know whether or not they're going to get the space. Mm. And some of the teams that potentially are nominees for some of those manufacturers don't even have the cars yet. Uh, And that feels to me to be this stage, as we kind of power towards mid-September, to be getting really quite late. Um, I think clarity is going to be needed really very quickly. Mm. And there will be demand for LMGT3 from the bronze driver panel because you've got ELMS with with its GTE product going away and that being GT3 as well and there are going to be a lot of tricky decisions to make with do you spend maybe less money doing ELMS with no guarantee you'll get that Le Mans spot yep. or do you go all out to try and get one of the sort of well, you know these hallowed it, final bronze spots in, d- in, in LMGT3 and WEC as is always the case you're going to find some of these teams coming together with very different funding um, mechanisms some of them you will find it's going to be a driver that decides to, to employ the silver and gold or platinum driver of their choice. Some of them, there might well be some factory nominees. There's some signs that that might well be a part of some of the things coming forward here. Some of them, they're going to have to find three funded drivers, you know, at those three different levels. So I think you're going to find some very different avenues to the, to the tricky solution of what I think is going to be three and a half, four million um, for these cars without the cost of the car, remember. Mm. So all of that goes into the melting pot teams are making rapid progress with this, no doubt about that already talking to a number of teams who are telling me they're a fair way along the line for this but by no, mean, by no means is that all of them um, I would suggest I think we're probably if, if we were to sit down now and work out not only who we think is coming in terms of the teams and with what car I think we would be struggling to fill 50% of those names against the cars at the moment. And the good reason for that is most of those teams can't yet be certain whether or not they're going to get an invitation. And a lot of these drivers who are returning um, from GTE and moving into GT3 are going to have to change manufacturer because there just aren't, there's so much more variety now. At the moment, you might have plenty of drivers who have only ever driven Ferraris for the past five years, but there isn't the slots if you want a wet driving a Ferrari there's only two seats whereas before you bronze. might have four or well, five well, yeah. that, well the answer is there's, there's potentially more than two seats because you're going to have more than one bronze but that's mm. going to render you uncompetitive so the reality there is going to be that um, realistically you're talking a bronze per mm. car and yeah. realistically we've, well, we've, how many Ferraris have we got here this weekend four and rather more Porsches, well, it'll be two of each. The same Neil Lamas. Yes, so, you know, so, we, we, so we're going we're gonna to see very soon just what kind of prospects we've got for the kind of turnout for this. It is a, a factor that teams are getting more and more comfortable to, to discuss more openly. We've got teams out there at the moment, not just with Hypercar, and we'll come on to talk about that, but with um, some of the LMGT3 respective entrants out there and putting themselves out there in the market commercially, but also testing with potential drivers for next season. And one of those you wrote about last week, the weeks just fly by, mm. TF Sport, yep. the gem test with the, uh, the Cadillac on track at Cota, 
and TF Sports uh, joining that test with the new 06 GT3R that they will be campaigning in the FI World Endurance Championship next year. Mm, no, and it was a really positive test. And what's interesting from talking to Tom, feedback is that he'd had a group of not just you know, his own guys out there learning the car, but it was a really important test at Cota um, that was held alongside a pro run Pratt Miller uh, Corvette, so there were two there. Uh, but there was a band of prospective bronze drivers who are testing multiple cars with different teams at the moment and using that sort of opportunity as a way to decide where they want to go. And uh, we know, well, I spoke to Christian Reed and Proton are out with their Ford Mustang, they've taken delivery of that, so they're out testing as well. And yeah, it's, it's coming together with some of these new cars and no, I mean, you teams running new, new bits of kit, it's great. We do talk to... Uh, not just the two team principles you talked about there but to others as well and yeah we're aware of a number of the, the drivers that have been out testing there's no deals done for many of those at the moment equally well aware there's some pretty big names pretty much nailed in for some of the other cars um, from the other manufacturers with their customer teams no doubt in my mind as to where we sit at the moment that the, this is going to be a pretty impressive class mm. um, but it's going to be a class of somewhere between, let's say, 16 and 20 cars, for the sake of argument, 18 hypercars and 18 um, LMGT3s and a 36-car field feels pretty neat and tidy to me, but you can talk about plus or minus two, I think, in, in both those classes um, for what will be something somewhere between a 36 and 38-car field, mm. I feel. Mm. That's where I think we are. So that's where things stand at the moment. It, it is a matter of filling slots, and that those slots are filled in a variety of ways. Number one is you've got to have the financial package. That's, that's where it starts. You then try and match that financial package with a blend of drivers that is going to produce the goods. That's that's the gamble, if you like. It's it's teams coming into LMGT3 that are attempting to find the secret sauce, if you like. You know, what if we put driver A, bronze, with driver B, silver, and driver C, um, gold or platinum does that feel like a winning combination and that has to f- come second to the commercial realities there's a difference between what you as a team wish to achieve, of course you wish to achieve um, racing success but it may be that what you'll find is there is you know, there are teams with very different looking driver squads including driver squads that might be next year or 2025 or 2026 or 2027's Ben Keating mm. uh, in, in an MGT3 car that has to follow on from getting the financial solution that gets this ball rolling mm. lots of testing as well for for future hypercars and current hypercars so LMDH chassis we've seen Lambo been out testing Alpine BMW Porsche were testing back to back with BMW at Spa Ferrari have told us that they've got seven days left to test before the end of the year so they're busy going to be busy at Bahrain they're going to be busy at, uh, well they've just come back from Barcelona as well so there's potential for upgrades um, for the likes of Ferrari the likes of Porsche that they're going to be in the background you know, working out how far they can push the envelope with some of these you know, Joker Evo upgrades on LMH and in the case of LMDH reliability and performance evolutions and that, and that, that, that kind of evolution that kind of update the the evolution cycle for these cars, for the hypercars and the, and the GTPs, 
I think what we've dug into really over the last few days here in particular, and I'm sure this is something you'll be thinking about and writing about in the near future, um, is a lot of the assumption is wrong about the shape of this marketplace moving forward, that we are going to see some significant changes in these cars over the next two and three years. It's not going to be the unfettered rush to spend, you know, a cubic acre of euros or dollars or pounds, but there is very obvious sign that a number of slash all of the factories that are represented in the converged hypercar and GTP classes are finding ways to number one address the shortcomings of their product against their peers. Number two, to start to design and build sensible updates to retain the performance that they've actually got or enhance the performance they've got within the performance window. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a BOP formula, but nobody wants to stand still. So the fascinating aspect of it is the fact that if you want to come with a suite of changes and you've got a menu of um, upgrades you want to make to your car, be it you know a power steering upgrade or new set of brake ducts or a minor aerodynamic tweaks to the car, you've got to be able to justify it. You've got to be able to go to wind tunnel tests and make sure the car remains in that performance window that we talk about a lot but you've also got to be able to say to the likes of the FIA and the ACO and IMSA here's why we need these changes you know, it, it's, yep. and, it's, and it's not always going to be a yes is the answer what we shouldn't expect is you know, every year all the manufacturers come like Toyota did with essentially a new car that's been re-homologated with a full reset but what we sh- what we will see is something different from the original philosophy. I think of the likes of LMDH in particular, where we're going to have a car frozen for five years. Yeah, I mean, in in some respects, yes, uh, you're cool. essentially going to get the same car coming back year after year. But by the end of that five year cycle, it's not going to be the same machine. Yeah, uh, you know, we've seen that we've seen that other classes. The key to it is keeping a lid on the escalation of expense. And, you know, we've already been through a cycle with the outturn of COVID, with the issues around you know supply chain, etc., where costs have gone skyrocketing. Mm. And I know that the uh, rulemakers on both sides of the Atlantic will be very keen to make sure that that's sorted. You, you touched on things like wind tunnel testing and, and the like. That's not something you can switch on. You know, call them on a Monday and they'll blow the dust out on a Tuesday. This is one of the bigger challenges, isn't it? This has got to be programmed and when I say program I mean that's a really involved process of determining what uh, what upgrades might be needed deciding how you're going to deliver that when you're going to deliver that where that sits within the performance window as you understand it when you take it through simulation and design before you ever get to the stage stage where you're proving that and by proving that I mean going through the approval process for that and that's a process that isn't going to start now for something you want to do next Wednesday. It's something that started months and months ago for something they want to do next season. Mm, definitely. The timeline is uh, so vital to any changes you want to make because you've got to factor in one lead time on, on building parts. You've got to factor in your testing allocation and the fact that if you're going to make a serious change to your car, it needs to be endurance tested. Yep. Now, you're not going to come with new dampers unless you've properly tested them because once they're fixed, they're fixed. And the moment the moment you change a component on a car, it becomes illegal to run the, the previous set of components. Which means if you are a, an organisation at the moment that is only Porsche that has got customer cars out there, that is something you've got to factor into 
the supply chain, mm. the cost proposals, who is going to, uh, if you want to take the, the advantages to your factory team of making those changes, who then pays for these three million euro um, hypercars that have got, already gone on to a customer team that will then need to make those changes for, to comply with the rules. Yeah. All of these are kind of very, very big questions. And I think but the, the key takeaway from this is it's not as simple as anybody thinks in no, terms of the, the, the potential movement, what that movement involves, the cost of those movements, what happens in terms of the customer marketplace, etc., etc. And trying to apply a simple template to that to say you're allowed to do this and nothing more, you're allowed to this upgrade, you're allowed to this joker, it's sort of outdated. Mm. And there's a lot of game playing, and there's a lot. Really, there's, there's an element of politics. Really, it's it's. Uh, it will surprise you, Graham. But uh, there hang is, on, but colour me surprised. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've never worked in politics, Graham. So if, but if you had worked in politics in the past, you'd you'd understand. Not spoiler. I have worked in politics. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, even this week, we've seen two very different approaches to how manufacturers um, are managing the way that they're talking publicly to the media about upgrades and future plans to their car. You've got Ferrari on one hand that are saying the 499p, you know, they clearly have struck gold with the car. It's been great this season. Yep. Today, not so great. No, Fuji, but, 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 but as a whole, but this as is a the, package, but fantastic. this is the only WC track for the season yeah, that, that the team didn't test before they came and it yeah. showed. Yeah, yeah, no, it really did. So you've got Ferrari, the likes of Ferrari that are pretty content with what they've got. Um, and coming out and saying, and I believe it, that they haven't quite it worked out in all instances whether X, Y, Z problem is because the car's got shortcomings or whether it's because they're new to that circuit and they haven't set the car up correctly and that's having an effect on X, Y, Z. They haven't, you know, that they seem to be of the mind that they don't need to bring wholesale changes to that car like a Toyota did because that they feel there's still an element of operational gains that they can make that could be just as big of a step learning the you know learning the strategy of a race and you know making most of track time and the stuff that we'd see we, when we saw at Sebring they were a little bit behind the curve should we say uh, they made a lot yeah. of mistakes yeah, yeah. It, it and cost them better results yeah and you know do you just get the team together use the experience you've got and build on that and make gains there, or do you spend hundreds of thousands of pounds bringing up gains? I think you're, I think you're, you're extremely optimistic and saying it's hundreds of thousands of pounds. Yeah, well, yeah. But, the, but, the key, but I think the key here is you're right. It is that making the choice about again. I can use that word again. Program. It's what can you do within the resources you've already got, mm. rather than going back there and either tapping into your contingency or going back and asking for more resources. Yeah, the key is all of this is determined by two things, or three things in this case. Results, prospects of results, prospects of customers. Mm. And so you had the contrast of Ferrari being very dismissive about the relationship they've got with the FI and the ACO and there being any you know, issues with the discussions they're having in the background about what they can do to their car. And then in another media roundtable with Peugeot, Peugeot are very critical, Olivier Janssenie from the technical director of Persia Sport is adamant and he has on multiple occasions told the media that you know, he's not happy with the level of clarity, clarity that they're being provided by the ACO and NFI about how far they can go in changing the 9x8 because they do you know they do have plans to make massive changes to that car they've told us but what they don't know is 
where on the scale they're going to be from minor changes to radical aero changes or mm -hmm. radical changes that will impact the reliability of the car as opposed to performance. It, it's really interesting. It's, and that's, that's, I guess, in a time when there's not major news that you can write at the moment, in the background there's so much stuff bubbling, bubbling I think, up. I think that's the point, isn't it? We tend naturally to gravitate towards numbers. You know, how many of this, how many of that, you know, which team, which manufacturer. The big point here is you've got manufacturers looking to enhance the capability and the competitiveness of their package, whilst in parallel, several manufacturers are looking at the prospects for the viability of, the sustainability of customer programs alongside what they're doing as factories. Not all of them, uh, but some of them. And for me that's the kind of the exciting part of it is we're watching as we did today as some of those manufacturers that have been perhaps have been out of it to this point just up in the game we saw it with Peugeot uh, the last couple of races we saw it with the Ferrari uh, at Le Mans we've seen flashes of brilliance uh, from uh, from Cadillac in the FI World Endurance Championship but they've just had no luck and not a lot of consistency and then you look at what's happening in GTP in the IMSA series where basically everybody was on a, everybody was on a race mm. and that's got to be a good thing mm. you know and that shows that the, the, the process is working the rule set is supporting that process and there's relative happiness in around the, the new premier class in, in North America lots of work to do I think I would from, from the conversations you've had with Ferrari and with, uh, with Peugeot and, and, and background with others as well is that I think they're beginning to see the advantages of being open about difficulties about process that they're being they're being more communicative about process they're being they're looking to bring us with them in an area where they must surely know that the majority of these manufacturers and these teams will not be winning regularly yet and are going to have the best day in the world should they actually get to the podium we've seen it today with Porsche mm. you know um, a cracking result for them um, but I think their their uh, faces said it all on the podium they looked disappointed mm. they believed they could have won mm. they could have won mm. you know it was a cracking race from uh, the number uh, the number six car and We'll just have to hashtag wait and see how it all actually pans out as they continue to deliver on the development process that's been informed not just by what's been going on here, here in Europe, where they have been a bit behind the curve, but also being able to tap into lessons learned with the cars that uh, the teams are running across in IMSA. One more thing, I think, before we talk about the race that we've seen today. I think we've got to say a word on Lamborghini, because there's a lot of positives for a lot of manufacturers at the moment in what they're doing and their testing and you know, lots of nice racing, but Lamborghini have had a bit of a tough time, haven't they, in the well, last couple of weeks? Well, yeah, I mean, let's talk about the, the new cars that are coming. Well, new cars, an established car with a new t TF, uh, TF, excuse me, WRT out there testing their uh, M Hybrid V8s for next season's WEC, and that's great. That's, a, that's an early start to their test programme with some familiar names aboard those cars. Um, also out for the first track test has been the Alpine, the A44, um, with its mechachrome engine, about which there's been much internet cynicism. Well, let's wait and see, shall we? Car looks great. Uh, we know, because we've witnessed this with the similarly 
spined accurate that the base of that car looks like it could be very good Rock indeed solid. sounds tasty too doesn't it, it does like indeed it. so that looks um, to be an interesting prospect hearing some uh, potential changes in that program that's their initial direction for where drivers will be sourced from that there might be some tweaking of that we might hear potentially that one or two bigger names might be tempted to have a crack in that one uh, Isota Fraschini and with Vector Sport Vector Sport now involved in their um, test programs and are able to leverage some of their drivers into the into this program and that's beginning to show benefits in terms of the performance coming as opposed to Michelotto's uh, development drivers and yes Lamborghini uh, that car hitting the track um, and unfortunately the barriers at uh, Paul Ricard a couple of weeks ago uh, with what looked like a very nasty incident for the first test car uh, Mocha Bottolotti um, hopping or staggering away from the wreck rather than walking away from the wreck and it was very good news to see that Mirko Bortolotti uh, was featured is featuring in the DTM this weekend because initial reports were rather worrying about uh, injuries that he might well have suffered uh, I don't think he's t- terribly comfortable in a car at the moment but the, the good news is that Mirko is able to race yeah, but it was but, but it does, does seem like it was a significant crash we we have reached out to try to speak to Lamborghini about the incident they don't want to talk about it I don't blame them it's a straight answer but what we don't yet know is what if any impact that will have on the ongoing test programme because yeah it's going to be a struggle for them to get everything ready from what we've heard before that incident to be ready for the start of next season as it is as as we understand at the moment that we can expect the uh, Lamborghini to be at the raw test uh, but not to race at Daytona, and that the competitive debut of the car will come with the WC's opening round in Qatar the following month. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting few weeks. Uh, more power to them. Um, you know, I think it's great we've got Lamborghini coming for both championships, full season in WEC, and the uh, enhanced five race or before races with no Daytona, uh, IMSA enjoyed the Michelin Endurance Cup um, but yeah uh, it'd be good to hear from them whether or not this incident has had a knock-on effect on their programme at the moment my presumption in terms of otherwise is not and that uh, it will be as if not announced because there have been tweaks to the programme since the initial announcement as intended I think is where we go from there so all of that is to the good um, we've got cars on track now and testing ahead of their racing debuts next year. Yeah. So, I guess let's wrap up this podcast by talking about the race that we've just seen. Yeah. I mean, we're straight straight out of the race, straight from the press conference, straight from right of the reports. I'm sitting in the back of the briefing room now at the circuit, trying to digest it all. And I, I don't know about you, Graham. I, I it wasn't an absolute classic WC race. But it was really intriguing it in was. every class, and particularly in hypercar, but not for the reasons that, if well, you looked at the results, you may think. Well, let's go reverse order. Let's let's deal with LMGTM first. And we did have a result change post-race, uh, post which means that the championship-winning Corvette finishes second to the number 54. Spirit of race. Of course. Of course. I was going wrong. It's a... a there are brands for the it same used company. to be that it did. did used to be a second race. win in the WC history for the 54 car which is anchored by Thomas Fleur and with his regular 
silver driver Francesco Castellacci and this year uh, assisted ably by David Rigon and cracking run from them. Their second race uh, win in uh, WC history and both of them came here, spoke to Thomas afterwards and he's utterly delighted with it but it was a very feisty race mm. between the 54 car and the 33 um, we'll get to Ben Keating in a moment but there were two incidents affected, uh, involved both those cars one was Ben side by side contact um, with Thomas Fleur that pitched the Ferrari off at turn 10 uh, and that was an incident that uh, Ben got a 30 second stop and hold penalty for that ultimately cost him the race mm. um, there was however a bit of afters um, once the 54 car rejoined the race and heard from a number of people, we didn't see it on the TV coverage, that there was a um, rear, sorry, front to rear contact from the Ferrari on the 33, which pitched Ben Keating off the, um, off the track at Turn 1, and that was not penalised. So there's a little bit of needle developing there. We like a bit of needle, but not mm. necessarily needle that involves contact. Beyond that, Iron Dames went well again. Could have been involved. Could have been, uh, you know, up to the cup if you like, but didn't quite come off there. Um, the 57 Kessel Racing car that lost its second place um, to what was the infringement? It was. Um, it was because the car didn't slow down during full course yellow okay. to the correct speed. So that was a 10 second penalty yeah. for that. Uh, there was just one single full course yellow. Uh, for removal of debris that um, well, usually the amount of contact it was remarkable we had one safety car yeah, and one it was, it in was, the entire it, race it yeah, was ridiculous it was but, uh, but it, it's in the hypercar era we've, we've had two remarkably um, issue free races despite the fact that it was I think was it one two laps under safety car mm. um, and a really brief minute minute and a half under full course yellow we still didn't break the hypercar distance record that went three laps longer in a full green race last year so that pretty amazing stuff so Corvette take the title I took the title already before we got here uh, they're now basically going on to you know try to complete the season and complete the story of GTE AM with as impressive uh, set of performances as they can and boy oh boy did Ben Keating, despite the whoopsie we've just described, um, set that up, saving something like 35 minutes of fuel or 30 minutes of fuel in two one-hour stents. Quite amazing. Explain that uh, principally that's to do with his right foot braking, uh, the, the peculiarities of the quick corners being downhill, and therefore, uh, therefore able to kind of lift and coast without losing too much time. But no doubt in my mind that the sophistication of that Corvette platform was massively aided. He's not the only driver, by the way, in the, the bronze uh, class, the bronze classification to right for a break, but he was the only driver that managed to do anything remotely close to that. He is an exceptional talent, without a shadow of a doubt, as a non-professional driver. Um, but Ben Keating set it up. Nico Veroni then came out um, having taken the penalty that we described and another one beyond that um, and put in another amazing stint for a silver driver, pulling the car back up through the order uh, with Nicky Katzberg coming in and pushing hard and uh, salvaging a podium and eventually inheriting a second place. So great result from Corvette. Um, some 
good efforts from others, one or two falling a little by the wayside, uh, but completing the race. Uh, track limits costing, in particular, the 25 ORT Martier Sport. I think they had four track limits uh, penalties. Yeah. It just left them nowhere. But GTEM, we're going to miss it without a shadow of doubt. I, I, I embrace the newness that is coming with the new class, but we're going to miss these GTE classes. And this is the final time that Japanese um, trackside audience will see them. Mm. P2 was feisty as well, wasn't it? Wasn't it just? So, <laughs> looked for a long time as if you know uh, both United Autosports cars had that tied up. Started from pole, Phil Hansen's first ever WC pole, followed, followed two weeks on from his first ever LMS pole, which is remarkable, bearing in mind the length of time that, uh, that Phil's been racing in LMP2, but he's in a rich vein of form. Both the cars did really well in the first two-thirds of this race. Um, shout out in particular to a big uptick in form from uh, Freddie Lubin, the, the, uh, the new silver driver for... Um, United Autosports and you know did extremely well to fend off uh, a closing Oli Jarvis in the sister 23 car he shares the 22 with Felipe Albuquerque and um, and Phil Hansen but then sort of out of nowhere uh, Team WRT entered the chat mm. and the 41 car went to the front um, stellar stuff in particular from the two professional drivers. Ruan Drad did a solid job, but he brought that car in in fifth place. Stellar job from both um, Louis Delatraz and particularly Robert Kubica. He was superb. He was superb. And I think will be rewarded next year with a hypercar drive. Um, I think I know where he's going to go and I'm delighted for him. But also a shout out to the role of the pit crew that took time out of an always well-drilled um, United Autosports crew could also have seen Jota involved in that but uh, ironically um, yeah. yeah, they suffered a delay when they were hit by their own hypercar um, which the 38 car also was penalised for um, second in the championship coming into this weekend into Europol never really featured Vector pogered up and down the order a little bit had moments of you know, real pace and then moments where they were sort of anonymous Alpine as well, like just yeah. not quite there. Like and not Prima too, too bad, but it was, the Prima effort is just had a stranger season, hasn't it? it? Especially just, the sixty-three car. That on paper you just, I, I thought at Sebring that car has the potential to blow everybody away this year, and it's been not really that impressive. No. And you know that is the car that Mirko Bortolotti would have been in, but um, he leads the they led the DTM coming into this weekend. Um, as you know, that, that's his priority program this year for uh, Lamborghini, so that's where he's been. But uh, no, sort of flattered to deceive. It just wasn't really there. So really, it came down to uh, Jota trying to play the recovery uh, drive and almost did it. But then a battle between the pair of cars apiece from Team WRT and from United Autosports eventually came down to Robert Kubica sort of putting time on the field mm. and dominating that and behind battle between the, the two United cars and the second the 31 um, team WRT car and boy did it get down to battles in the in the final half hour or so of the race with Robert Robin Frines closing down Felipe Albuquerque in the 22 car um, Albuquerque looked to have it all covered but then a 
feisty but actually quite brilliant move up the inside physical but fair move up the inside into turn 10 which is the start of the kind of the touch again uh, which a very defensive Felipe Albuquerque had to give best to that looked done and mm. it particularly looked done when the um, the Van Wall kind of shambled into the into the mix uh, and delayed the United car through turn one um, then <laughs> Albuquerque went from being back on the tail of the, the WRT car to being better part of two seconds behind and I have to say hats off to my co-commentator on WCTV uh, and Davidson who called it brilliantly saw it was like he had Olympic 2 experience yes I know <laughs> uh, but, um, but called it corners before it happened exactly as it was going to happen yeah. and what actually happened was Robin Frines who did gain an advantage from the LMP1, the, LMP one, the, uh, the hypercar getting involved, called it, and what was going on was Frines had in close, con- uh, uh, in close proximity to him, not just the Van Wall, but one of the Toyotas, and a couple of GTE AM cars, and in trying to deal with that mix of traffic, he um, compromised himself, coming down to exactly the same point in the track, uh, turn 10, spoke to him briefly after the uh, the race and he took me through exactly what had happened and he said I simply didn't see Felipe I was there trying to get through as quickly as I could you know as error free as I could with the Toyota in the mix with the Van Wall in the mix and the two GTE AMs in the mix all at radically different paces and it looks to me like Felipe Albuquerque pulled an absolute blinder and dived bombed in battle of midway fashion uh, pulling if anything, an even more daring move up the inside of the same place and took the place. So, Frein's pretty gutted. Uh, Albuquerque had a grin as wide as his face. Um, but I think, in reality, United Autosports will come away from the weekend disappointed. They felt they could have gone 1 2, but it was a quite brilliant display, team display, from Team WRT that took LMP2. And, and it puts the 41 crew with effectively one hand on the trophy, doesn't it? It's got to go horribly wrong now in Bahrain. They've effectively got a non-finish to lose the yeah. title, and yeah. that's not been finishing something. ahead of United was massive. Yeah. I mean, and you know, Bahrain has thrown up some shock, shocking results before. Now we've seen it with the GT, GT Pro. Yeah, we've seen it in GTM with Paul Delano and the, the Aston Martins melting down uh, just a few years ago. But you know, it would be a surprise if these usually ironclad LMP2s produced a non-finish that's not that's not caused by contact. Mm. Let's put it that way. Which brings us crashing into um, Hypercar and quite the event for them. Uh, you know, what we expected coming into this with a massive advantage for uh, Toyota Kazoo Racing. It's their home track. They raced and won here last season. They've got masses of data uh, from years of competition here. They came in as the absolute stone cold favourites here. Um, Kamui Kobayashi pulled off an absolutely brilliant pole position I mean well lap from the gods there what surprised I think everybody was that the second row of the grid was taken by both of the Porsche Penske Motorsport 963s um, they were well in the mix um, ahead of the Ferraris that the Peugeots messed up really flat spotting tyres on both cars uh, that neither of the privateer Porsches were really in the mix on the grid uh, less said about the pace of the Van Wall in qualifying the better that that uh, started behind the uh, leading United Autosports 
uh, Orica. But they start the race, a mixture of messy and brilliant. I think it would be yeah. worth saying. The, the messy bit was um, multiple cars running wide, uh, either in avoidance of or because of contact. Both the Ferraris hit contenders, quite a biff on the number eight Toyota, and um, more consequentially, contact from the other Ferrari on the number five uh, factory Porsche, which left that car with a puncture and effectively out of it uh, from that point forward. Um, but seven cars running off track as a result of that, including the Proton competition car of Harry Tinknell, who then mounted, I think, one of the drives of the race. Yeah. But the brilliance came from Lons Venture. Oh. And that move up the inside of the, both of the Toyotas, effectively, uh, to take uh, the lead through turn one from the second row of the grid, uh, one of the moves of the season for me. Yeah, oh yeah. And um, I think Mike told me after the race, I spoke to Mike Conway, uh, just about that move and he was shocked <laughs> it was like there was nothing I could do like he was up the inside and before I knew it there was nowhere I could go and I couldn't break any later and that was it and all of a sudden he's off the track and he's but it was better still because he then drove away um, Ferrari's made progress up the field early uh, but then fell away uh, there was no real sign of the kind of pretty radical drop off in straight line speed we've seen from that Porsche this season so the development has yeah, come on and the tyre on a, on a circuit and on a weekend where tyre degradation was such a big talking point yep. you'd have thought on paper the Porsche would struggle because you know this season it has eaten its tyres and it has fallen away during stints but I think all three drivers in the six proved that you can hang with anybody with this car well, if it, driven correctly, it was to talk about the six first, and we should because it led for four hours in this race. That was not something that anybody expected. No. I don't think Porsche expected it either. So hats off to Lawrence Vanzo, one of the drivers of his life so far. And there's a lot more to come from him. I, I'm a massive fan of Lawrence, and I love his attitude to it, his focus, and he's just a little bit bonkers, which I quite like in a racing driver. <laughs> and Kevin Estra as well. Estra to Estra got into that at the point at which the, the, uh, the, the Toyotas had really found their groove and they were catching and you sort of thought this is going to go one way and one way only which is they're going to gang up on him Kevin Estra doesn't like being roughhoused we're not all getting out of here tonight <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't happen like that what happened was they closed they closed within a second at times and Kevin mounted what I think I described on the, the broadcast as an attacking defensive drive and that's exactly what he did he was brilliant in traffic absolutely mesmerising in traffic without being too ragged absolutely right he, he, he took risk but it was measured risk I think we saw a different Kevin Estra today speaking to Jose Maria Lopez who was principally right behind him for yeah. that entire stint and that portion of the race um, he by driving the way he did Kevin forced Jose into a position where he couldn't quite make the move and he just ate the Toyota's tyres yep. and from sitting behind the Porsche for so long it just meant that by the end of it the, that, that car looked like an absolute handful to seven didn't it it did and it, you know what then happened eventually the, the Toyotas did manage to make the pass on that Porsche the Porsche stuck with it but uh, despite the fact that Brendan Hartley was clearly really struggling with his Toyota in second Kamu Kobayashi Drive of the day, I thought, for Toyota today. Drove away at the lead of the race. Uh, took full advantage of the fact that clearly, once Toyota made the call to switch the cars around, 
that uh, he took advantage of the fact he had an untroubled territory against one that was clearly struggling with all sorts of maladies uh, to drive away. But Brendan seemed to have enough in his pocket for the to, to keep the, the Toyota at arm's length and a little bit more from the uh, from the, the Porsche in the latter phase of the race. But it, it was a fine podium for Porsche. It mm. could have been second, and. If the circumstances have been slightly different, a win was there for them. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and if you compare it to the other podium that Bourgeois had this season at Portimao, which was not gifted to them, that's the wrong way no. of saying it, but that podium was very much a result of misfortune for Completely other cars, right. they, and it wasn't on pace. No, Today... It's, it's like it's like you're walking down the street and someone's dropped a fiver. It's kind of, oh, I've made a fiver. That's it. Oh, I've, I've made a, you know, someone's been unlucky enough to drop that and I've picked it up that was you're right it was not one one entirely on merit whereas this was a podium that I know that the team the factory and in particular the three drivers would be rightly proud of and they wouldn't they genuinely I don't think like you said earlier I don't think Porsche would have believed you if you'd have said to them after Monza you're going to finish third at Fuji and both Ferraris are going to be off the lead lap uh, no, I don't think you would. But you know, beyond that, I mean, Toyota, they did finally execute. They will be delighted with it. They've got a great record uh, in racing here. They've only lost once at Fuji in 2015, I think it was, to Porsche. It's the only one they've lost here. Uh, that's not by accident. They, they, they literally own this place. They've got tons and tons of data. They've got the fan support. They've got everything there. And it's not as Ferrari. To, it's not a place that people really come testing. And that's the point. Is Ferrari were the best. The rest, if you like, behind that. Um, but they've never tested here. The only uh, uh, WC circuit they've not managed to test before race weekend, and it showed. Uh, they weren't a million billion miles away. But they weren't quite there either. So, okay. you know, a lap down at the end of the race was you know, not the result they were looking for. But they came to this race, I think, expecting it might be like that. Peugeot, I was disappointed with Peugeot here today. They uh, will be hugely disappointed. They, they should be. But um, what I would say is we had one minor mechanical malady. We had one of the cars needed a top up of the hydraulic system. But other than that, the cars did run without problems. Mm. They I just weren't. Yeah, yeah, but they weren't. They, but they weren't that. just weren't quick enough. That leaves you with three cars to talk about, and uh, the two that we really should focus focus on were the two privateer Porsches. Um, the Jota car was right up there. Uh, then had the problem with it was the Costa, wasn't it? Had the clash with David Heimer Hansen. It was clumsy. Let's make no mistake about mm. it. And. Um, I said this to Anne Davidson in the commentary booth, which is, it was a very untypical run from Antonio Felix to Costa. He's a yep. joyful guy to have out there. Really focused, fun, doesn't make mistakes, but he made mistakes today. And it cost that team dear. And I think he cost them potentially uh, with you know what was not his best run. Uh, cost them the chance of being in the mix for that lead group. The other team, um, even less lucky. Uh, proton competition uh, it was a poor start from, from Harry Tinknell but after that he did not put a foot wrong he was epic today they've had next to no testing this is a brand new car another brand new car um, that again has not done really very much outside of race weekends so as the inevitable niggles have been worked through uh, in the, the race meeting to this point but Tinknell boy could you see he'd had a workout when he got out of that car but he was right in amongst it he was 
he was doling out um, you know lessons on track to Ferraris to, to Toyotas taking the fight to them and winning them and I, I think that's as good a drive I've seen from Harry Tinkle in many a year mm. and he will be crushingly disappointed with what then happened but I think when he sits down and thinks about it, when he sits down and looks at the data, I think he'd be quite happy with his day's work. Here's the thing, from talking about them going into this weekend, it's very clear they're still at the point where they're using these races as a chance test, to test. Yes. But there was something in the way that Harry, or something in his demeanour when he was talking to Louise after his stint, even though it just unravelled with Bruni being in the back of the garage and that was kind of what the focus of that little interview was you could see the spark in his eye that there's we've got finally, something yeah, it's, yeah. yeah and, and they're finally unlocking the performance a little bit and, and I, that will I think that's spot on yeah. and I think you know we will see these privateers learning from what they've observed from the identical cars being campaigned by the factory team the Penske team of course they'll take something from that and it was just the most ridiculous thing that caught them here it was Jimmy Bruni getting into the car and a seatbelt failed it was the buckle for the seatbelt failed I don't think I've ever seen that in a race before and never ever and you could see it in Jimmy's face you know you can imagine can't you from afar the focus it takes to get out there into what is it you know automotive war and he's ready to go there the team's done a great job to that point and there's nothing he can do and by the way anybody sitting there saying he should have gone anyway no he shouldn't done no, he should not have done. Number one, it's against the rules. And number two, it's damn dangerous. The forces that apply in these cars are more extreme than any of us that don't do this for a living or for pleasure can possibly know. Again, Aunt Davidson nailed it. Is making the wrong call in a situation like that is, is potentially fatal. You know, you go off with anything other than that operating completely as it should, you are going to have a fatality at the kind of speeds. Um, the kind of margins that apply here so you know he made the right call to call it uh, and that, that came back and bit them again after they'd fixed it the first time so they'll be gutted it's one of those things yeah. um, it's a on, literally on a once where, in a, the, where the car was fine but, but mechanically it was fine once in a decade problem yeah. <laughs> but there you go flashes of brilliance from Jota flashes of, again flashes of brilliance from um, Proton that's really really good news Absolute flashes of brilliance. Four hours worth of brilliance from the um, Porsche Penske motorsport guys. Uh, but ultimately, it was the weight of experience, the weight of um, you know, uh, of just the way that they managed to execute that gave the race to uh, the Totokas racing pair. And that brings us into a season finale with uh, Bahrain that leaves it pretty finely poised. Mm. Yeah, I mean, championship-wise, worthy champions aren't they? Toyota taking the, the yeah, taking the manufacturing. Yeah, but, but uh, the, dri- the drivers' championship is still kind of on. Ferrari just yeah. about there, and between the two Toyotas, there'll be no love loss, will there? Stephen, you know, it, with this explosion this year, you know, there was a lot of kind of uh, chatter, including chatter that we've had on this podcast, that you know, no one's going to beat Toyota this year. Blah blah blah. You know, there's no way. It's not been like that. You know, we've seen Le Mans. I think we'll we'll come back to look at Le Mans. Um, put aside all the tittle tattle about you know messing with the rules and here blah blah blah. It was a race for the ages. It was exactly the race that I've lived my recent life in this sport waiting to see, and I want to see it again and again and again as the rule set that we've got coming forward emerges and that more 
teams and, fa- and factories just sign up for that and say, I want to be part of that. And we've seen this with Ferrari coming out. It's looking at points as if they could have come out and have been a dominant force and they've not quite executed yet. But they will go back and think about it and do better. I think they'll be right there in Bahrain. I think we'll look back on it, Le Mans, maybe next season, maybe the season after, and we'll reflect on just how important it was that Ferrari won that race on the basis that yeah. it's looking like we could have had a situation where Toyota won every single race, and three or four of them pretty convincing. Uh, it, well, it's looking like... Um, I, I completely agree. The fact that it was a really good race really helped as well, and that Toyota had to fight. I think what we'll look back at, uh, I think we'll look back for another 50 years as to how good that race was. It was that good. But I think more than anything, it's about the application that these teams, multiple teams, we've just seen what Porsche brought to the party. We've seen throughout the season until this weekend what Ferrari could bring to the party. We've seen the last two races what Peugeot are now bringing to the party. And we've seen now what the two first high-quality privateer efforts can bring to the party the FI World Endurance Championship. And guess what, boys and girls? More are coming. Okay, We're going to be seeing four new factory teams next season. Okay, We're going to be seeing BMW. Uh, we're going to be seeing Alpine. We're going to be seeing... Uh, the Lamborghini effort and we're going to be seeing a sort of Fraschini. I know we, we ponder it. There's no way that car is not going to be accepted as an entry in this championship as long as nothing ridiculous happens in, in, in final testing. It's, it's a credible effort. More and better. Those four efforts will be playing a little bit of catch-up as we've seen this year from the new cars coming in this year. But next year... All the lessons and the data that have been learned, not only here, but for the, for the Cadillac, and we've not mentioned the Cadillac, we'll come back to that in a moment, and the Porsches, that have been learned not just in uh, WC competition, but in IMSA competition, are being translated into developments in terms of what you said earlier in the broadcast, which is um, in terms of what you can bring with the package you've got, the operational side of things, and what it is you put into the mix for things you think, feel you need to improve. They're invaluable. It's one of the reasons I think the smart people at General Motors will be pushing really hard that there's a second Cadillac in the WC next year. And then looked at what Porsche did today and think, OK, you've got an LMDH car, it's game on now. I think that's about right. I think the LMDH teams, by the way, think that, that Toyota had more than they were showing. Wouldn't be at all surprised if that were true. You know, uh, but they put pressure on, that pressure was resisted. There was no doubt in my mind, Toyota tried really hard to pass that Porsche. Mm. No doubt whatsoever. It wasn't the cleanest work. It wasn't. Let's finish with uh, this little bit with Cadillac. And uh, again, pretty luckless. They weren't quite there. Broken Bell Bamber drove the wheels off the car. Literally. literally. <laughs> it looked like a broken hub to me uh, for, for, for that car. Um, but, you know, again, it brings with it a big fan base. It looked great. It sounds great. No doubt in my mind that is a good package. It will not work to its uh, ultimate potential everywhere. But then that's what this formula is about. There are going to be good days and bad days for these teams, and I think most of them are ready for that. Today wasn't a great day for the Cadillac Racing Squad. And all weekend, that car just didn't yep. quite look right here. But I think they'll go away, and I think there's things they can learn from this. And one of the things I believe, my view, is they should learn is they need that second car. They need to be able to run those cars back-to-back in testing and at these race meetings and learn from each other. It's something the Porsches are able to do, not just with the two factory cars, but with the privateer cars as well. Uh, bad news for everybody else, there's more coming. 
I think that's about us. Yeah. Uh, we're just over an hour into this, and we've got to go off and get a curry before we climb onto a, a plane for something like 15 hours with uh, full of films we've already seen. Um, he's been Stephen Kilby. I've been Graham Goodwin. Uh, this has been the Week in Sports Cars, brought again and with thanks, of course, to Cooper Tyres, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. 